All right, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. And the message entitled, God's love is to abound. In our last study, we examined the thankfulness of Paul to God for the Philippians in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1. Paul um, terminated the section declaring the love of the Philippians for him and his love for them in verses 7 and 8. Now Paul continues to pray for the love of the Philippians, which is characterized by three things. Let me read verse 9 to 11. He says, In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. As Paul prays for the love of the Philippians, we see that it's characterized by the following. First, the petition. Verse 9. That love grow with spiritual maturity. Second, verse 10. The purpose. That love equip them to make mature decisions before man and God. And thirdly, verse 11, the personal benefit that love made them vessels of God. And so the petition comes first, that love grow with spiritual maturity. Notice here, the apostle Paul prayed that their love would increase. Listen to the words. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. So Paul continues to tell the Ephesians, or the Philippians here, that he was praying for them. It's always nice when you know people are praying for you. I appreciate the prayers that you guys pray for us on staff constantly. And we thank you for that. People that are praying as the, as the message goes forward, that it be affected to those that are listening, whether it's here or over the internet or over the radio. He has just finished praying for their fellowship in the gospel in verse 4 and 5. For their ongoing involvement and participation to reach the lost. And for the inception of the church uh, from that point on to the present hour that they were involved with him. As he is in prison and they are writing to him and they have sent a servant to help him. Epaphroditus as well as some money as we've seen. Now... He used a different word for prayer as he prays for their love than from the previous one. He used the word prayer in verse 4, which is for specific needs. Uh, and at times we said it was translated supplication. And it can be used of a request to God or man, but in Scripture it is only used for God. Gabriel used it for Zacharias in Luke one thirteen when he says, Your prayer is heard for his wife Elizabeth was barren and it was a prayer to conceive. Same word, very specific. Peter used it in 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ear is open to their prayers. Very specific petitions. He now uses the word pray. 
in a general sense for daily needs and always used for God, never for man. Having the idea of worship and reverence, it's used in Matthew 6, 9, when Jesus teaches how to pray. Same word. The disciples asked him. Jesus used it also in the cleansing of the temple. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Matthew 21, 13. The early church used it for the practice of the church. They continued in one accord in prayer. Acts 1.14 and 2.14. And the tense is the indicative present middle voice. I keep praying. It's ongoing and he's doing it. So you have both the, um, the particular and the general types of prayer that he's dealing with. Notice Paul referred to the particular love. It's the word agape. The same divine love he had indicated for them in verse 8. This did not mean that it wasn't presently active in their lives. For it was evident by their support and by their fellowship that he indicated in verse 7 that it was. This doesn't happen automatically, by the way. This agape love is sought out from God, yielded to God, and cultivated in our relationship with God. Our natural love is very self-centered, is very partial. Yet the love that God gives, it comes from Him. He doesn't force it upon us, but He is willing to impart it to us if we open our hearts to it. This divine love has nothing to do with the physical or the sexual attraction that much of the human love has. This divine love is not based on emotions and feelings. This love is committed apart from all that. How often you and I have heard people say, well, I fell out of love. We fell out of love. Is it like falling out of bed or falling off a bike? No, you fell out of lust. And now your eyes are wandering somewhere else. That's the real word. This divine love is best defined by John as God willed to act in a loving way towards man when all evidence showed no reason or duty by giving his only begotten son in John 3.16. I cannot find any reason why God died for me or gave his son for me. He acted sovereignly without any self-interest or ulterior motive. It's something that you and I have, have nothing to do with. This is his love. He acts within himself to save lost man. We act for ourselves with a personal benefit due to our sinful nature. God is so distinct from us, so different. That's why we need this agape love. And you as a believer know 
when you are yielding to God's agape love and when you're yielding to your own love. Your own love is very limited. My love is very limited. It's very partial. It's very conditional. It's based on what I see, what I feel. What I feel is fair. God's love is absolute. And there is nothing that merits that love whatsoever. Notice Paul described the potential of this love in two ways. The word abound means to be in excess, to exceed a fixed number or measure, or to go beyond. The present tense indicates a continuous active growth and advancement to keep on overflowing, if you will. Too often some believers settle to live a static spiritual life, doing only the least they can do, doing only what they want to do, a carnal life. Remember Jesus when he's teaching his disciples, because any Roman could demand you to carry their goods for one mile. And they have one-mile measures on the roads, Roman miles. And they could compel you, pick up my bag, and carry it a mile. Jesus says, after you carry that one mile, carry it two. In other words, don't do the least. Sin nature wants to do the least all the time. Because they have self-interest. The word abound is found 39 times in the New Testament. And Paul used it 26 times to mark and emphasize the power and potential of the new age of grace. We are to abound in hope, faith, knowledge, wisdom, ability to comfort, generosity in everything, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Because there's a new nature, a new potential. We're under new management. The phrase, more and more, is a superlative to give greater emphasis to his command already given, to abound. And now it means to abound in greater degree, not, not just overflowing, but increasing the overflow and increasing in agape love always, on and on and on. Though they were manifesting agape love presently, it was not enough that it was going on, but they needed to grow. The context, by the way, of this section is to reach the lost. We are God's instruments. We are his stepping stones. We are the only gospel some people are ever going to hear and see. Notice the Apostle Paul Pray that their love would be a combination of biblical truth and life experience. Listen to his words. In knowledge and in all discernment. This is his prayer for them. Paul understood the value of biblical truth personally lived out. The phrase in knowledge, epinosis, is an intensified form of by the prefix epi. 
And it means thorough and full comprehensive knowledge by experience. He is describing a person living out the word of God, growing, developing, by applying it to their life. He's making the clear contrast between a young believer with little life experience and a mature believer with much life experience. Here's the contrast. There are Christians with incredible biblical knowledge. But being young in the Lord often choose or act contrary to the truth they possess, much like our children do. We teach them, they know, and then they do, and you go, why did you do that? How could you do that? I don't know. Here's the contrast. Yet others do the same having many years in the Lord, but they've never grown and matured, remaining spiritual infants. There are people who've been in the Lord 20 years and they don't know the books of the Bible. They've never read all the books of the Bible. They've never grown, they've never developed, they've never matured. They just get by. 18 of the 20 times the word appears in the New Testament. In knowledge. And it refers to the standard of God's word. The truth of the gospel. So we can know how to love. Who to love, when to love, why we're to love. You see, Paul understood the importance and value of their love being discreet. The manner of agape love is in all discernment. There it is, discreet. Having the idea of perception and insight in order to make the proper choice or application be it moral, ethical, or spiritual. Being sensitive, tactful, gentle, prudent, and wise, as Paul's prayer is for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.7 and Colossians 1.9. We've all known people that have no social graces, right? They're at the table saying, Hey, hey, could you pass me the salt? And they're reading, and you know, and, and they, get, they go, you know. They at the sit at the table eating like a bulldog, right? Elbows out. No social grace. It's nothing. Right? They're in a restaurant. They're loud. Well, this is the spiritual side of it. In other words, to have discretion and gracefulness towards the non-believer. It has been said that there is only one thing worse than a fool, an educated fool. People that have information, but they have no wisdom or life experience to apply it. 
the word is found in this form only this time in the New Testament. A varied form is found in translated census in Hebrews 5.14. Listen to it. And I remember Paul, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but if not, whoever, the author of Hebrews, speaking to the Hebrews who began walking and they haven't really matured in the Lord. And he's encouraged them to press on. And he says in the Hebrews 5.14, But solid food belongs to those are, are, who are of full age, mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their, here it is, senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You're able to make application of that information, of that truth, and to make that practice into life. They become one. The Septuagint translation uses it frequently in Proverbs. Proverbs 1.4 says to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. There it is. Proverbs, as you know, was written for the purpose of getting knowledge and with knowledge getting understanding and with understanding getting wisdom. Information is what knowledge is. Wisdom is the proper application of that knowledge. The measure of this discernment, notice, is stated by the word all. This does not imply total, but rather all kinds of perceptive discernment, whatever would, would prepare them for their spiritual understanding and decisions regarding love and making that proper use of it. In other words, Paul prayed that their love continue to increase so as to meet every situation of life as the Word of God teaches us in a wise, loving, and discerning manner. Because the non-believer is looking, hearing, and God is preparing the heart of the non-believer for the gospel that you and I possess. Jesus modeled this type of knowledge with life experience beautifully when he rebuked Simon. When he went to dinner at his house and the um, prostitute came in and washed the feet of Jesus. And Simon sat smugly saying, if this man were a man of God, he would know what manner of woman she is. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. Simon says, say on, master. He says, there was this guy that owed minimal amount, other owed a great amount. The master forgave them both. Who do you think will love the most? Simon smugly said, well, the one who was forgiven the most. He turned to the woman and says, you see this woman? She loves much because she was forgiven much. Wow. Knowledge and life experience. The proper tone. The proper words. To fit the situation. 
we constantly need to pray God's love abound still more and more in our lives because we live in a very cold and callous world. And man is not prone to love as God because he's a sinner. Love is the mark of the believer as we've seen in John 13.35, the mark of the church and the believer. Love has untapped potentials in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 8. It never fails. Agape love we're talking about. That's in our text. Agape love follows the model of Christ by God's elect, the believer, the saint. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Forgiving even as the same proportion as God has forgiven them. Because they know what sin does. They know the benefit of forgiveness as well as the joy. We need to love with discernment lest we not honor God. Love reaches out to the sinner regardless of his sin. For God loves sinners, John 3.16. Love confronts lovingly. And boldly, even as Paul said to the Corinthians that they were carnal in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Love reproves and exhorts to strengthen their hands hanging down, as Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. To get their eyes on the Lord. To quit feeling sorry for themselves, to lift those Hands that are hanging down and lift them to the Lord. Love casts out sometimes. First Corinthians 5 5, Paul says that young man that's sleeping with his stepmother and hasn't repented, excommunicate him. Wow. Our attitude and motivation of love is a vital element to our actions. Even though they may be misunderstood. Which of you as parents asking your son or daughter to leave your home because of their lifestyle after the age of 18? How many people would judge you as being unloving and yet it's exactly why you ask your son and daughter to leave. Because you do love them and you don't want to give them any idea that you agree with their immoral lifestyle. And you don't want to facilitate them. You're looking for a change of life, repentance. The petition was that love grow with spiritual maturity in God. Notice, secondly, what gives us the purpose. That love equipped them to make mature decisions before man and God. Verse 10. The Apostle Paul prayed for God's love in order that they might make decisions as mature believers. This is the whole focus of God upon the Christian. Listen. That you may approve the things that are Excellent. So Paul focused on their personal responsibility in their judgment as mature Christians. The word approve means to 
test, examine, to prove or scrutinize. Now, all of this runs opposite to the culture that we live in. Because the PC, the political correct language of the day, is make no judgments, make no critical uh, examination of anything. Don't, you know, just live, live, and let live, as the Beatles used to sing. The word was used for the testing of metals for flaws and impurities. This is the word. The word was also used of physicians who passed their examination to be certified. Critical examination. There was a standard to be met. How many of you would want to go to a doctor that got a D minus? Across the board in all his studies. You, what would, you, would you want him operating on you? They should put their grade average up on the diploma so they hang on their office. Notice Paul focused on the quality of their personal responsibility and decision-making as mature Christians. The word excellent means to differ or distinguish the superior from the inferior. The good from the bad. The more excellent from the mediocre. The best from the good. This word is used of the Jews who approved the things that were more excellent being instructed out of the law in Romans 2.18. The word is used of a star and how it differs from another in 1 Corinthians 15.41. You have to make judgments, ladies and gentlemen, in all your life. Now you have the standard by which you can make excellent judgments. And you don't have to worry about being judgmental or hypocritical. The standard is God's standard. But you need the wisdom on how to apply that in the situation, in the time, and the person, though. God's love is discriminating. He loves all men and women. But he cannot and will not bestow the benefit of his love until repentance takes place. That's the condition. People always say, well, salvation is unconditional. No, it isn't. It is conditional. You must repent from your sins to receive the benefit of his love. Now, God doesn't love you anymore once you repent. He loves you the same before you repent as after you repent. The only difference is before repentance, he cannot bless you with the benefits of his love. Once you repent, now he bestows the blessing and the riches of his love. Once again, as a parent, you want to bless your son, you want to bless your daughter. But if they're wayward and rebellious and they've been nasty, you don't go out and buy them a car. Once they repent, once they ask forgiveness, then, then you can be still blessing them, right? Unless they get the wrong idea, right? Now, God can't have nothing to do with sinner because he's holy. Until there's that repentance and he gives us the imputed righteousness of Christ, then he can't have nothing to do with us. The mature person discriminates in his or her love by testing 
to distinguish between the best choice that will honor the Lord. This is not referring to a simple matters here in our text. This is referring to the more difficult and delicate matters of life. But because you're mature in Christ, you can deal with those issues. This is not based on respect of persons, but on the best for the person and the honor of God. Notice the Apostle Paul prayed for God's love in order that as mature believers they may not become an obstruction to people regarding the gospel, but pleasing to God. Listen to his words. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Paul focused on their genuineness. That their mature love for God and the love of God be faithful and true. Love provides a great protection. My love for my wife restrains me from committing adultery against her. Not the lack of opportunity. If only the lack of opportunity restrains me, then it's just a matter of time, isn't it? What kept Jesus and held him to the cross was not the nails. It was his love for you, his love for me. He could have come down any time. But notice that their lives before God were true as opposed to false or fraudulent also. The word sincere comes from two words, the splendor of the sun and to judge. The practice was to judge under the strongest light, to examine flaws. This would be done to garments. Put them up to the light. See if there's flaws. You examine them. The Latin equivalent means without wax, meaning true and genuine, unmixed. You see, marble pieces would sometimes get chipped. The ear, the nose, something like that. Or they'd fall and they'd chip off. So they would get crushed marble and they mix it with wax and they'd shape the nose or the ear, right? So you'd grab that marble bowl or whatever. And if it was out in the sun, you'd be able to see the beads because the wax would melt. Or you'd stick it up towards the sun and you'd see the difference. You're examining critically, without wax, unmixed. Their yielding to the love of God as mature believers would make them unhypocritical, is what he's saying, and true in their love before man and God. They're making judgments based on the situation, the need of the person, and what God is leading in the standard of God's word. There is no personal interest. There is no mixture of motivation. Notice Paul focused on their responsibility, their lives before man was to be without offense. The phrase without offense means having nothing to strike against 
not causing to stumble. They were to give no offense to the Jew, Greek, or the church of God. 1 Corinthians 10.32. Those are your three categories of where God sees man. Jew, Gentile, or the church of God. Jews are lost. Gentiles are lost. And the church of God is comprised of Jew and Gentile saved. Those are the three categories that the Bible describes in the New Testament. The context has to do with the meat and vegetables there in 1 Corinthians 10.32. To not stumble. As some believe they could eat meat and others thought only vegetables. And Paul says, listen, if... I don't have any problem with meat, you know. If we go to the temple, you know, it's been, I know it's been offered to an idol and then the priest takes it down to the butcher and sells it to him and now he's selling the meat and you're taking it home and you think it's eating with demons and then he says, listen, you're not buying it. You're not eating it as unto demons. You're just buying it as meat. Pray over it and eat it. But if you have a difficult time, then don't eat the meat. Eat your veggies. And those of you who like the meat, don't invite your veggie friend over and then say, hey, look what I got, this big old thing. And by the way, it was offered to Zeus. In other words, whatever I have to do, I want to do everything out of agape love and do anything and everything I can to not stumble you, but to build you up. Particularly if you're a non-believer, but also for the believer. Knowing their lives were to be motivated by love to preach the gospel, becoming all things to all men, that they might win some, as Paul says. Stop and think of who shared the gospel with you. The people that were praying for you. The people that were mature enough to be a good example for you when you were a young believer. They watched what they said, what they do, how they live, because they knew you were watching. and It's important. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Philippians 2.15 says, That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as light in the world. How are we doing? <laughs> Notice Paul focused on the length of their accountability till the day of Christ. The phrase indicates the rapture of the church. The day of Christ, he's mentioned in verse 6 of chapter 1. Here in 10, he'll mention it again in 2.16. Also the phrase, the day of the Lord Jesus and 1 Corinthians 1 8, the day of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5 4, that day in 2 Timothy 1 12. Listen to Paul as he writes to Titus in chapter 2 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the rapture, the blessed hope. The phrase also indicates the beginning of the day of the Lord. The minute the rapture happens, the day of the Lord begins simultaneously. 
This is a prominent theme throughout the Old Testament, the wrath of God being poured out on this world under the ruling kingdom of the Antichrist. Joel 2.2, Amos 5.20, and many, many others. All the prophets speak about it. Now, there are many events during this period from the attack of Russia against Israel, which will happen again simultaneously when the rapture happens and the day of the Lord begins, onto the tribulation, great tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the battle of Armageddon, the judgment of the nations, the thousand-year reign, the binding of Satan for a thousand years, the releasing of Satan for the last rebellion, and then the white throne judgment. All of those events cover the day of the Lord. You know, it's much like a child that is exhorted to make use of the education and resources available to him so as to make mature decisions in life. And there are a lot of people that go through the university, but the university doesn't go through them. And they never do anything. Or they get a PhD in basket weaving, multicultural, whatever. And um, then they wonder why they can't get a job. It's wasted. It's not practical. Paul is describing wisdom here. Notice that. Motivated and directed by the love of God that will be imparted to us through God's word and prayer. Knowing how to live. Knowing, again, is mere information. Understanding and application is wisdom. So that we can be wise and flee youthful lust. Second Timothy 2.22. To not be unequally yoked and allow compromise. And rivals to come in to take us away from Christ in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Abstaining from all appearance of evil as people question our love for God. And what we profess, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Knowing what is permitted, yet it's not edifying. So do I really want to do it? 1 Corinthians 10.23. Walking in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, Colossians 4, 5. The outside are the non-believers. Seeing that we walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. James puts it this way, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, James 1.5. That knowledge, information, that prayer, the word, seeking the Lord, asking of the Lord, and receiving from the Lord to live that life out. See, God's love will perfect us to maturity to live before God and man blameless 
God's love develops our character. Listen to 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And the word love there again is agape. First John four eleven through 13 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. The fruit of the spirit, agape love, comes through the spirit. First John four eleven through 13. Then in 1 John 4, 17 through 18, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, Jesus, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect or mature in love. You see, love is a mark of maturity. Fear is a mark of immaturity. The two cannot exist side by side. Fear will destroy faith. And faith will overcome fear. How often the scriptures in the Old Testament as it was new. God says stop being afraid. All the time. You see love denies self for the sake of others. First Corinthians 8.13 very clear on that listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6 through 10 says and you became followers of us and the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all the Macedonians and Achaia who believe for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia in Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. Their love for God was extended to the love to all the non-believers, all the other pagans. And they were bragging about the gospel coming to them and about Paul and Silas and Timothy. Wow. First Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 says, Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Same thing as he tells the Philippians here. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, 
to mind your own business, to work with your own hands. And we commend you that you may walk properly towards those who are outside the non-believer and that you may lack nothing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 You see, the standard is the same for everybody, no matter where Paul wrote to. It's the same standard for us today. The purpose was that love equipped them to make mature decisions before man and God. Notice thirdly in verse 11, the personal benefit. The love made them vessels of God. The Apostle Paul indicated the believer's divine enablement with godly character. Listen to his words. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Paul points out here that the fruit of righteousness refers to what God produces through the fruit of the Spirit. Agape love and Galatians 5.22. This is what is produced supernaturally, not naturally. Agape love was not present in my life before Christ, guaranteed. Not at all. The love of God is behind my desire to see people saved, accompanied by the conduct of my life. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise, Proverbs 11.30 says. The Holy Spirit is the agent, the silent witness about Jesus and of Jesus. He never speaks of himself. He never brings glory to himself, John 16.14 tells us. Notice the connection is obvious and most fitting in context here of the Philippians. Because when people see God's work... In us, it verifies the message we preach. Amos declared God's people had turned the fruit of righteousness into wormwood, their own works, contrary to God, Amos 6.12. Then notice Paul, the apostle, indicated the godly character of the believer was related to depending and abiding in Jesus Christ. Listen to his words, which are by Jesus Christ. The repetition of the name of Jesus to indicate here his earthly existence as a man. It's all over the epistle. The repetition of the title Christ to indicate his deity, the anointed Messiah. The fruit of righteousness is given by Jesus but through the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the go-between between God and man. Seven references are found to Jesus from verse 1 to 11. We've just begun. There is one God and one media between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5 says. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews 4.15 says. He knows what it is to be tempted in every way as we are. 
His priesthood is untransferable. It starts with him, nobody else, Hebrews 7.24. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, John 1.17. He's the one. Then notice Paul the Apostle indicated the believer's life is to give all credit to God. All of it. To the glory and praise of God. Paul in his use of the word glory, doctor, refers to the dignity, the honor, the majesty, the splendor, the shining excellence that belongs only to God. The believer is yielding to God's love, resulting in the fruit of righteousness in his or her life, can take no credit for it. This is so that people see and acknowledge God's power and potential, not the person. John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You see, Paul, in his use of the word praise, refers to the commendation of God to be worshipped. This is the proclamation and exaltation of God for who he is. This is the celebration for what he has done in and for us and through us. That we who first trusted Christ should be to the praise and his glory, Ephesians 1.12 says. You see, the benefit is much like the benefit of a patient that receives that benefit by submitting himself to a surgeon under a very dangerous operation. The patient receives the fruit of health and life, but the glory and praise goes to the doctor. Not the patient. And so it is with God. We need to recognize the personal benefit to our lives as we allow love to abound in the process of life. The fruit of repentance, Matthew 3, 8. The peaceable fruit of righteousness in Hebrews 12, 11. The fruit of our lips giving thanks and praise, Hebrews 13, 15. Jesus said, abide in me and bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing, John 15, 4 and 5. You see, we must never forget and always remember that God has saved and called us for his glory and praise that others might come and be saved. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When we get before the throne of God, nobody's going to be taking any bows. In fact, you might study the text so when you get up there, you'll know what to do. Everybody has cast their crowns to the feet of Jesus and they're on their faces. Don't be standing up. Learn the script. All glory belongs to him. God's glory doesn't depend on man's acknowledgments or response, by the way. 1 Peter 4, 12-14 says this, Beloved, 
Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which are to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice in the extent that you are partaker of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is Reveal, you may also be glad with exceeding joy if you are reproached for the name of Christ. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, those who persecute you. But on your part, he is blasphemed, but, you, but on your part, he is glorified. So even though people may reproach you and blaspheme Jesus on your part, the glory of God is upon you as you go through the difficulties, as you represent Him properly. The place of Scripture and the plead of Scripture is for an ongoing loving maturity that is in Christ's likeness. Philippians 1.25 says, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. Philippians 3.9 And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that righteousness which is from God by faith. Philippians 3.12-16 Not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me, brethren. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press towards the goal for the pride, for the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal even this to you, nevertheless, to the degree that you have already attained maturity. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And so the personal benefit was that love made them vessels of God. Wow. Who deserves it? Not one of us. And so, Paul prayed for the love of the Philippians. Characterized by the petition that love grow with spiritual maturity in God. The purpose that love equipped them to make mature decisions before man and God. And the personal benefit that love made them vessels of God. Wow. What manner of love is this? It's outside of this world. <laughs> and we should be called sons of God, daughters of God. Wow. Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness, Lord. We pray for tonight you would just deal with our hearts and we thank you for just your word. We pray for those that are here, perhaps do not know you, and those over the internet, Lord the radio. We pray that you would just use your word to uh, draw them towards you and that they would open their heart to repent of their sins and call on your name, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. If you believe Jesus, God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can call upon him right now. This is your prayer of repentance. And he's going to save you right where you sit. 
You can pray this to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name.